Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right. Good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but we are having a good time over here. Um, also, just special gift to you guys. Most of you didn't know that Josh could speak in tongues, and so I was very excited to see that come out this morning. Uh, just a, I just broke this. Oh man, we were wheels off at this point. Um, okay, I'm going to pray again. We, I, we prayed a lot this morning, but I'm going to pray again because I just feel like we need it. Father, thank you so much for this morning, and just thank you for uh, the gift and curse of technology, and thank you for just this opportunity for our people to uh, gather virtually online and open up your word and to sing songs to you and to pray to you and uh, just to be transformed by you this morning. And so, God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move among us, uh, move in our hearts, move in our minds, and ultimately uh, just do the work of transforming us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Every single moment, every single day, every single second, we need that. And so thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And um, we turn this over to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and jump into Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And believe it or not, we only have uh, two sermons left in the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's uh, been a really good series for us and kind of the experiment that Solomon set out to do in observing everything under the sun and, and what all was going on there and ultimately how God was uh, designing everything and how he was creating everything to work and function and so how, how Solomon kind of viewed all of it, whether it was work or relationships or whether it was toil, frustrations, whether it was entertainment, the arts, uh, music, anything and everything, parties, uh, solitude, all of it. Solomon looked at everything that was under the sun and started drawing conclusions that there's nothing under the sun that actually brings satisfaction. There's nothing under the sun that actually pleases us if we're trying to put all of our eggs in that basket. And so Solomon now, kind of towards the back half of it, uh, these chapters 9, 10, 11, are really kind of answering the question, all right, if, if everything that's under the sun is not working for us and we have to look beyond the sun, how do those two kind of meet together? How, when we look beyond the sun and we find our satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone, does that then interact within our lives under the sun? What does it look like to be in relationships while having our hope beyond the sun? And so we're going to dive in. And, and again, he's just going to continue providing for us insight into a life that is well-lived. And that's really the title for today is, what does a life well-lived look like? And so I'm going to actually pick it up in verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And verse 2 starts off with this. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And first of all, um, 
I just want to say how shocked I am that uh, that verse has not been hijacked from the Republican Party um, and that they have not plastered it all over T-shirts and billboards and bumper stickers and bulletins and mailers and everything to try to just continue proving their point that they believe that Jesus was a Republican. Um, but ultimately, again, that's not really the point of this verse. I'm just shocked and baffled that I have not seen that before. Uh, the point of this verse is that Solomon is eliminating all of the categories we've created that, let's just say, are living in the gray. He's getting rid of the gray. Uh, in this verse, Solomon is saying that there's no gray. There, there's a right way to live, and there's a wrong way to live. A heart that is inclined to live the right way is the one who is wise. A heart that is inclined to live the wrong way is a fool. And you've heard me say this a thousand times. God has a design. God has a specific way of living that is right, that is good, that is holy. And not only does it reflect the good character of God, but it is also a design that, will, that we will ultimately enjoy the most, be filled with the most satisfaction, uh, get to see the most flourishment in our lives and in the world around us. Like God's way is not anti-fun. His, his way of doing things, His design is not anti-fun, but rather it is life-giving. It is the ultimate good versus the ultimate evil. And one of the most bewildering realities is that we have to convince people that God's way is better than ours. I mean, we have to do that. Just think about this for a second. Right now, when I say God's way, God's design... His view is better than ours. Some of us are feeling a bit of tension well up within us. There's, there's a bit of, I don't like that truth. There's a bit of, are, are we sure God knows the best way? Are we sure that God is the best way? Are we sure that He designed the best way? We, we worry about that. We think about that because we each have from the Garden of Eden this fallen intrinsic desire to, as Fleetwood Mac would say, go our own way. We just think we know the better way. We think that the better way is found not beyond the sun, but under the sun. And even more than that, we believe that it's um, under our own understanding, which comes from, again, the collective heart of our mind, our soul, and our heart. This song lyric, take this song lyric for example. There are miracles in life I must achieve, but first I know it starts inside of me. You want to achieve greatness? It's inside of you, according to this lyric. And that comes from the song, I Believe I Can Fly, by R. Kelly. How did that work out for him? Maybe he shouldn't have trusted his intrinsic desires. Maybe his life would have panned out differently if he looked outside of himself and looked to Christ for new desires. Ones that were right and not foolish and evil. Let's keep reading it. I don't want to beat a dead horse on that one, but I want to prove the point further. Verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If you were to head out right now on to I-65 or I-70 or even jump on the 465 loop and you start driving and you see a person just walking down the highway, uh, you're immediately going to think that something's wrong with them, like something's off about this scenario. Anyone walking on the road, putting themselves in that level of danger is foolish. But to take it a step further, to dig in a little bit deeper, Solomon is saying that the foolish person, the one who lacks sense, is the one who's walking on the road believing that the universe revolves around them. 
I remember back in, in um, I'll say back in my younger days, wasn't long ago, uh, when crossing the road many a times, I'll just start crossing the road and I'll just always throw out the statement, like, they'll stop. Um, that's foolish. That's dumb. Like that, what if they're not looking? What if, you know, a lot of bad can go, can go there. But there's this intrinsic sinful desire that we possess that guides us to live our lives as if we are the center of our universe. And when you're the center of the universe, that means you believe everything exists to serve you and to serve your demands or to even serve your worldview. And if you really, I mean, if you really think about this, this is the foundational reason for all of our frustrations, right? I love the quote from Tim Keller. The only person who dares wake a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access to God the Father. Now, I love that quote when thinking about my access to God. I love that quote when thinking about how selfless God is to allow me that amount of access. But I don't love that quote when my child wakes me up at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. Why? Because one, I'm not God the Father, and two, I'm still giving myself over to selfish, sinful, intrinsic desires that say it's better for you to serve me rather than me to serve you. So my flesh is preaching to me, your kids better stay in bed so that you can get your beauty sleep, but the Spirit of Christ within me is preaching, serve your child with the love of God when they wake you up at 3 a.m. One of those views is foolish and one of them is right. One of those leads to my own destruction and one of those leads to my family flourishing. Don't be the center of your universe. Put Christ there. Let's keep reading verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. I think this one is great. He, he says there's something about a fallen world where people who think they're the center of the universe and that they're indestructible, they rise and they rise to levels of power and we end up working for them. And then all of a sudden, we want to try to run away from people like that. And Solomon goes, here's the deal. Even if you were to run away from it, they're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there are people like that. So he says, instead of trying to escape people like this who are foolish in power, he says, calm down, breathe, don't run, don't move from this place to this place to this place, trying to run from a broken world. No matter where you are, there you are. Verse 5, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Here's what he's saying here. He goes, we live in a maddening world where stupidity, where folly, where debauchery and wickedness is exalted. And it's put up like a crown achievement to be pursued when what is good and right and real and makes a difference walks on the side of the road. You know, a hundred years ago, the famous people were doctors and scientists. And maybe this pandemic is trying to get us back to that reality. Because before COVID-19, the famous people were influencers and celebrities in and out of rehab. I mean, it's just true. Nothing worth following, but yet everyone's entertained by them. 
Basically, what he's saying here is those who live the right way, the wise, are not revered as someone to trust and follow, but rather the fool, let's give him everything. So what do we do? Verses 8 through 10. How do we then live life? He'll give a warning about life and then start to help us here. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. What he's saying here is the alarm clock goes off and the guy reaches over and turns it off and he gets up and he puts on his work clothes just like he has for 20 years and he drinks his cup of coffee and he kisses his wife and his children goodbye and he gets in his truck and he heads out and he begins to dig a ditch. He digs ditches for a living. That's what he does. He's dug ditches every day for 12, 20 years but this day, for whatever reason, in the middle of digging a ditch, he stumbles on a stone and he falls into the ditch and he dies. Another scenario. Man wakes up just like he has every day for 30 years and breaks down walls for a living and he breaks down this wall, except this wall has a snake in it and it bites him. Solomon says, life is hard and it's unpredictable and no one controls it. But there's a way to live that is wise. There's a wise way to do things. And then he uses this great illustration about the guy in the logs. He says he takes his axe and he doesn't just start going out flailing on trees. He, he says that his blade is dull and so he begins to sharpen it. He sharpens it and sharpens it and sharpens it and then he heads outside and he begins to knock down trees. And he's saying in this text that maybe sometimes it's better to work smarter instead of harder. I think he's saying that wise men and women know where they're going and they're working out a plan on how they're going to get there. Here's the reality for me. I, I want to be three things. I want to be three things. No more, no less, three things. I want to pastor and preach and teach the gospel as well as I possibly can with the gifts that Christ has given me. That's one of the things that I want to be. I want to do that. I also want to be an amazing husband. And I want my kids, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, to not doubt the sincerity of my love for Jesus. And to love me and my wife. And to love Christ and the church. That's what I want for my kids. Those things don't just happen. Like, nobody stumbles into godliness. That's not the way it works. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, nobody ever walked in one morning turned on ESPN, and all of the sudden was in the middle of Shekinah glory. Like, no, nobody's done that before. Here's something else I'm noticing. My, my four-year-old, he's starting to give me one-word answers. Like, how was school? Good. How was your day? Good. What did you learn? I don't know. What do you mean, I don't know? Like, it just picked you up from school. Like, you need to give me more answers from this. It's actually not like Ezra. Like the kid loves to talk. You can tell there's always something going on in there. And I want to know what it is. And so you know what I've learned? And maybe you'll think this is absurd and I'm okay with that. Like I know if I'm going to be in the car tomorrow, which I am going to be for four hours with Ezra, 
I know that I'm going to have to spend time today working through how that four hours is going to go. How that interaction is going to go. So instead of just saying, how was your day? It's maybe asking questions like, what was your favorite part of your day? And then he'll answer that. And then I'll ask him, what was the least favorite part of your day? And maybe he'll say, somebody pushed me down. I'll say, who pushed you down? And he'll say, it was Josh. And then I'll have to fire Josh or figure that out. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to love my wife. And I want to love her well. I don't ever want her to doubt my love for her. And you know, with the pace of life here, and with how busy things are and will always be, I was even thinking just kind of back on the first couple of years of this church plant, how incredibly busy it was wearing multiple hats and just thinking there will be a season that will get out of this and, and it won't be as busy. But the reality is it's always busy. This is the lot. This is what we signed up for. This is what God has brought to us. It's always going to be busy. Everybody, and I kind of wonder, like, at what point in our history was busyness kind of the badge of honor? Like, how are you doing? How was your week? Oh, it was just busy. And it's like, if we were to ever say we're not busy, it's if we're not productive or we're not, I'm getting off on a side point here. But all I want to say is everyone is busy. We are all busy. And therefore, we have to think at this harder. We have to maintain focus on the parts of our life that we are and that also we want to be because it's going to take work. Where are you headed? So those are the three things that I want to be, and so I'm, I'm headed that way, and here's the thing about a plan. It's not enough to want to. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this next sentence. If you're not careful, your want-to's are going to give way to, I wish I would have. And then what? The bit about the snake charmer is he says, who cares if there's a snake charmer and he forgets to blow his horn and everybody gets killed by the snake? You've got a guy with a flute dead on the ground. What good is the snake charmer if he's not charming the snake? What good is it if you want to be a godly man if you want to be a godly woman, if you want to be a godly husband, if you want to be a godly wife, if you want to raise godly kids, if you want to do this thing, if you want to have an active faith, if you want to know Jesus, what good is it if you want that but do nothing to head that way? And listen, I don't believe in the power of human self here. I believe in grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. But sanctification is a process that involves God and you. Nobody gets holy by just sitting on the couch doing nothing. Nobody loves their wife fully by not working at it. It's not enough to want to. Again, want to will give way to I wish I would have. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The wise man knows where he's going, knows what he wants to be, and he's working a plan to get there. He also surrounds himself with men and women who are beyond him and exemplify who he wants to be later. The fool surrounds himself with people who are stuck in the same rut. 
and is completely content walking with people who are okay where they are, have no plan, no desire to go anywhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm looking in my life, I'm looking for older men and women whose children love Jesus, who love the church and they love them well. And I want to hang out with them. Not because they did it right, but because a lot of that is the grace of God, but because they might be able to give me some insight. I want to hang out with people who spend their money well because I know the dangers of trinkets, but I still like them. So I'm like, don't waste your money. <laughs> Where did you get that? Like, sign me up. I want that too. So I want to be around people who spend their money well. And I want to walk with a bunch of people who are content where they are and have no hope of ever uh, being something else. I don't want to be around those type of people. That's what the Scriptures say the wise man does. Is he surrounds himself with wise people, wiser than them, in order to be discipled. Verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Listen to what he says. Uh, it says, because I find this to be really true. A person doesn't know where he's going, what he's trying to be, what he's trying to accomplish. They tend to get exhausted by life because they're walking but not knowing where they're going. They exemplify, as we've talked multiple times throughout this uh, study in Ecclesiastes, they exemplify the treadmill, running their guts out but not going anywhere. So keep this in mind. There are times in marriage where the going is uphill at an unbelievable angle. I mean, there are times in a marriage, days, weeks, months, sometimes even years, where it's hard and the going is difficult. Days don't over, uh, difficult days don't overwhelm because we know the end. The reason why difficult days don't overwhelm us is because for us, looking beyond the sun, not like the fool who's looking under the sun, but for those who are looking beyond the sun, we know the end. And because we know the end, and we know what we're heading towards, we will not be overwhelmed by the moments of frustration and the moments of difficulty and the moments in which we have to work through one another's sin. The end in mind, being obedient unto Christ, is me ultimately being able to sip coffee as an old man and old woman, rejoicing in all that Jesus did with the end in mind. Let's keep reading, verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. He's saying the people have no idea where they're going have a tendency to start the party before anyone else gets there. People who don't know where they're going, they have a tendency to start drinking before the sun ever goes down. Maybe even sometimes in this case, in the morning, before it's barely even risen. Look at this next piece. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. He's saying when the son of nobility knows he's going to be nobility, he knows where he's going. It then goes into the next thing. Your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. That's such a great line because once again, he says, listen, there's a time to party. There's a time to party that strengthens the soul. There's a way to party that strengthens your soul. 
Now, look at this next line. This is what happens usually to the person who has no clue where they're going, who they are, and what they're supposed to be. Verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. And everyone right now is saying amen on the chat. This is awesome. Been waiting for the time that we can get to the fact that we're going to be rich. Just give us all the money. It answers everything. Tell me how. You have to read this verse backwards or you don't get it. It's, it's not a, a sin to be poor, not at all. It's, it's, it's a sin to be lazy. So money, and a lot of this again is in, in the context of toil. Uh, someone who's working, someone who's earning, someone who's making money. Money affords us opportunity. Money enables us to rent an apartment or buy a house. Money enables us to buy a dining room table. And then let me ask you a question. Is, is bread really made for laughter? And I could hear my wife in the room in her head saying amen right now that bread is made for laughter. She loves it. But bread's not made for laughter. Like when was the last time someone just picked up bread by themselves, took a bite and just started like, oh, this is awesome. I'm just so excited about this. Like bread alone is not made. That's not what he's talking about here. What is Solomon referencing? Dinner. I mean, have you been here since we started this thing? This guy's got a thing for dinner. It's like every nine verses he's going, and dinner, eat together, wine is good. He says, work hard and then spend your money wisely. Buy a big dining room table so your friends can come over, eat your bread, responsibly drink your wine, and laugh at your bad jokes. Have them over, enjoy it. Money will afford you this opportunity. So the wise man knows where he's going. He knows what he wants to be, knows what he's been called to do and be. He surrounds himself with people who are there, working his plan, gaining wisdom, he parties to bring strength and not drunkenness. He never numbs the realities of life, never. He has a great dining room table. And then in verse 20, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Have you ever been busted? Like, have you ever run your mouth and got busted? No, nobody. Jordan has. I was about to say, me neither. Um, but, but, but I've heard that this has happened to people. Um, I mean, have you ever walked into a room and there's like other people and they're just bad-mouthing somebody and then the one line you say is the one that actually makes it back to the person that you're talking about? He says, the, wine man, the wise man understands that he lives in a sinful, broken world of which he is a part. And here's the part that got me. I think I do a decent job of not bad-mouthing people out loud with my mouth or at least to their face. Um, but he even says that the wise man won't even do it as he lays in his bed at night. And so that's where I was like, dang it! <laughs> because I do lay in my bed. And I'm thinking as I'm there, like, I wish I would have said this to this person or I wish I would have killed this person or I wish I would have done this. Like, I just, you know, maybe I don't think that far into it, but... But we have these problems. Like we think about this because people are sinful. And the wise man, you know what? 
I don't battle flesh and blood, spirits and principalities. I rather, instead of bad-mouthing them, talking bad about them, thinking about them in a negative way, I pray for them. I pray for their heart. I pray for my heart. Maybe I'm seeing it wrong. That's the wise man. All right, we're going to finish this up and we're actually going to move into chapter 11. First six verses. Verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Very quickly, the wise man is generous. And he's generous with his money, he's generous with his bread, he's generous with his wine, he's generous with his car, he's generous with clothes, he's generous. And how, I mean, think about those two verses in our context right now. Cast your bread upon the earth, cast your bread upon the waters, cast your bread upon the neighborhood, for you will find it after many days. You will help the neighborhood sustain Give a portion to seven or even to eight neighbors around you, for you know not what kind of disaster may happen on earth. Let's be generous as we continue in this time. Let's look for opportunities. Let's not just wait for those opportunities to come to us, but let's be looking for the opportunities in which we can be generous with our resources to those around us who are in need right now. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is Solomon's hardest word in this whole thing. Quit making lame excuses for your laziness and sinfulness and be obedient to what God has commanded you. He says, God comes to this man and he asks him to walk through the forest. And the man looks up and he sees the wind and he's like, it's blowing the trees. Those trees, maybe one of those trees will fall down and maybe one of them will kill me. I think I'll just stay here. God then comes to a man and says, plant seeds. Okay, I'll plant seeds, but here's the deal. There's some thunderheads up there and, and it's kind of a waste of time to plant seeds if it's going to rain. And so he does nothing. He's heard from the Lord, been spoken to, and does nothing and, and, and makes excuses for not moving. And Solomon here says, give me a break. You're breathing. Why are you wasting your breath? Go. What about the tree? Yeah, the tree could fall on you. I mean, nobody knows the ways of God. Sometimes the guy who digs the pits every single day, today he falls in. Maybe the tree does fall on you, but go. All a man can do is accept the limitation of not being God and be obedient to what God reveals to him. So if he says, go through the forest, go through the forest, no matter how hard the wind's blowing. If he says, plant the seeds, plant the seeds, even if it's already raining. Okay. I'm working my plan. Will it work? I don't know. That's out of my hands. Will my children love Jesus? Will they love the church? Will they love 
Mom and dad, would they love me? With all my heart, I hope. I hope. Do I have any guarantees? No. But I'm not, I'm not expecting it to accidentally happen either. I want to be the best possible pastor, preacher, teacher I can be. Is that going to happen? Accidentally? No. I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to study. I'm going to have to wrestle. I'm going to have to have conversations. But what about you? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're trying to become? Are you a want-to kind of person? Do you already have some I wish I would have? So I've got three goals today. I'll pray you'll be dismissed in a moment and I'm going to get into my truck, head home, and I'm going to continue working on a plan to become the best pastor, preacher, teacher I can be. I'm going to be thinking about how to be the best husband I can be. And since today's Mother's Day, that job is a heightened, sensitive one. Don't mess it up. And I'm going to think about how to be the best father to my boys. The wise person thinks about these things. And they seek the commands of God to transform them into these realities. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for this book in Ecclesiastes. We thank You that Solomon has set out on this experiment to learn and to explore the world, everything that's under the sun, in order to give us insight into what is good, what is right, and what is not good and what is evil, what is wise and what is foolish. And Father, my prayer for us today is that we would be people who want to be wise and not fools. And that we would think about who we are, who we want to be, and that we would put together a plan on how we're going to get there. And that plan is going to involve the Word of God and prayer because God, you know who we are more than we do. And so we need your Spirit to guide us. And we need your words and your commands to form our plans. And we need your Spirit to literally steer us as we are planning out our lives in order to become more and more like your Son, Jesus, that you would push us in the right direction of what that looks like, to understand the correct truths in Scripture, to understand how your character functions on a day-to-day basis in our lives to understand how your spirit is moving and working in our heart, mind, and souls. And to help us understand how our part in sanctification functions when it comes to our responsibility to obey your commands, to submit to you, and to submit to those around us. God, we need your work. We need your help. We need your strength in order for us to be wise and not foolish. So let us be people with wisdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at